When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael. I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. It's not like we were talking about anything interesting. Lightning striking a guy twice and faces death. Faces of Death, the uh, the scariest tape that was passed around elementary schools in the 80s. Yeah. And I never watched it. Bryce, you were just bringing that up. And- yeah, I was bringing that up because I was talking about this uh, Instagram I saw where a dude gets struck by lightning literally twice. And uh, <laughs> it was, I was like, dude, that's pretty amazing. Uh, but he lived, so what it's is cool. The, uh, yeah, as long as they're okay. As long as they're okay. What's the Instagram? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I follow a lot of crazy accounts, but uh, that doesn't surprise I, yeah, me. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, my uh, and they're all real, man. Every one of them. My uh, friend of the show and castmate Scott Michael Foster has like shown me a couple crazy like Instagram yeah. feeds while we're hanging out on set, and like one of them is just car crashes, right? Which oh, is insane. No. Yeah, no, that's no good. No, but it is. There is like car chases. That it, there is something like that. Sort of like need to watch yeah. something horrible happen like the interesting thing on one of these uh on one of these instagram accounts there was this uh this motorcycle accident that had happened on the highway and a trucker from across the uh the, you know the other side of the highway he had flashed a photograph of it and it's it's a somewhat uh popular photo now because you can see what looks like this spirit kind of rising like right above what? the accident yeah wait is there a, did the guy Die? He did. He did unfortunately die, Boy. but uh, hence the spirit leaving his body, Mike. <laughs> I get it, but <laughs> um, you didn't say he died. No, I know, I know. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Because you could have said he lived and then maybe it's a guardian angel. Right, right. Over I thought you were going that way. Right, right. Too, no, yeah. oh yeah, no, interesting. You know interesting. what I mean? But it was a really uh, uh, interesting photo. Speaking of spirits rising out of bodies, yes, I watched. Finally, saw the Ballad of Buster Scruggs last night. Oh, uh, okay, dude, it's great. Yeah, I really it's like that. So good. You've got. To, have you seen it yet, no, Bryce? No, the wife isn't feeling it. So, oh, you have to watch it. You yeah. will love it. Dude. I am sure I will. It's like a movie of sort of. I mean, it's it's about so many things, but it is <laughs> sort of like old timey. It's sort of like juxtapositioning the old timey white man's romantic vision of the west uh-huh. with the reality of violence and death really yeah you mm. wouldn't get that from the cover picture no but it's fucking great okay and tim blake nelson is a goddamn genius in this movie wow okay so is tom waits oh dude tom waits story is amazing so good. bryce i'll have to watch you, it on my own time you need to watch it because you will for sure become one of these men in your <laughs> old age i'm just just a heads up that's awesome all right well uh we've been chatting too long without introducing our guest i want to welcome him to the show he's an actor and uh, oh hey everybody welcome back to bigfoot collectors Club, yeah, the show all right where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal histories and share stories of high strangeness i'm your host michael mcmillan with me always is bryce johnson 
your other host, and Riley Bray, our trusty producer. Uh, and as I was saying, today's guest is an actor. You've seen him in the film Love, Simon. He's currently recurring as the role of AJ on season four of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So awesome. we work together. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Mr. Clark Moore. Yay! Hey, Clark. Hey. How's it so going? So we were hanging Good. out in the cast chairs again. You know, just a set life. Hashtag sure. set life. As we do. <laughs> As we do. And... Uh, I was trying to bug Vela Lavelle to come on the show, who's been avoiding us. She's on Crazy X. Okay. And uh, and she's like, I don't I don't have any stories. And <laughs> I was like, sure you do. And plenty of people don't. And I turned to Clark and I was like, hey, do you want to come and be on the show? He's like, yes, I'm psychic. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, you're Perfect. booked. Just, booked. And I was like, he was like, and then she's like, you're psychic? And I was like, everyone shut up. We're going to save it for the podcast. <laughs> so we'll get to that in a moment. But how That's are you, Clark? Awesome. Welcome so to the good. clubhouse. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. I love all of these oriental rug, Persian rug moments. I'm here for oh, killers. Yeah. This is for helping nice. soundproof the studio. Yeah. And also vibe. And vibe. It's yeah. a great aesthetic. <laughs> Thanks. Giving it that uh, that central perk. Yeah. Mid-90s coffee shop. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's very nostalgic. <laughs> Nothing. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no one has jobs. We all have great apartments. Yeah. And we just talk about yeah, ghosts all day. That's pretty much it. <laughs> okay. Living beyond that, our means. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. That's why we're pitching this as a TV show. Oh my god! Shh, don't tell anyone. <clears throat> well, maybe. Maybe. Um. Uh. I found out not too long ago that uh, Central Perk on Friends was based on the Bourgeois Pig. Uh, this is a real niche. Uh. Uh, a reference from people who only live in Los Angeles, but it's based on the bourgeois pig coffee shop uh, at Franklin Village. I've never been there. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was a thing. It's like one of the OG like '90s coffee shops. It that... still is open. Oh yeah, still. And it totally when you go in there now, you're like, oh, this totally looks like the Friends yeah. set because it's like all these velvet couches and antique furniture. Wow kind of eclectic and i think I, they have a replica of the friend set of central perk on wb is that where it is yeah it's on their tour yeah okay bryce is like did i it mean twice. i haven't been there i haven't been there <laughs> but I, rumor has it wait even deeper cut i think there's one at brandeis university oh really yeah because my mom and i went on a tour which yeah was it's a very Jewish school. Wait, first of all, what? <laughs> I don't know. I had a very eclectic right. college ex- uh, application experience. I wasn't <laughs> questioning your college experience. I was questioning why there was a Central oh, Perks set yes. at Brandeis. Go uh, on. I honestly don't know, but it seemed like that was the most <laughs> interesting point of the... That was the thing I took away from the tour. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> and that's when I knew I wanted to be a television actor. You know, I was like, hmm, should I go to this I school go just for the set? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mom was like, please don't do There's that. There's a place where you can go where there are plenty more sets. They're yeah. like, our enrollment has jumped 30% because of this goddamn couch. Exactly. What was it doing there? I don't know. Did it was people hang weird... out? I think it was a functional cafe for students. It was this weird anecdote. I don't know. It was so bizarre. They didn't really explain it. Yeah. They didn't have to. You you, you were in. I was yeah. there for it, yeah. I think I did apply. <clears throat> Where did you end up going to SKU? I went to Dartmouth. Uh-huh. Um, so same so general you're smarty pants? Is that world. what you're saying? Are yeah. You I'm like really smart. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. 
No, I tricked them. I had like a long list of extracurriculars, and I was like, "Don't look over here at my GPA. And, like, uh-huh, yeah. Look at I'm the student body president and varsity of the swim team. I've and, got personality. Yeah, I'll round out your class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so I went there, New Hampshire, and then came out here five and a half years ago. Ooh, yeah. So it's been a minute. And where did you learn to dance? Because Clark is a very good dance, skilled dancer. Mm, thank you. I was watching back some of the videos of what we just shot. I yes. don't know when this will come out. A couple weeks. Okay, so... Uh, it's fine. A- Everyone knows it's a musical. We just don't need to be specific about right. it. Right. Also, sidebar, I love that even Crazy Ex-Girlfriend now has, like, Avengers Endgame level yeah. spoilers. <laughs> where, like, we're... You're just not allowed to talk about any TV show Seriously. now at all. So. Well, that's what I realized in the, you know, just like the, there are some rabid fans of the show who really don't want anything spoiled at I all. I understand. Um, but I was looking back at those videos that they took just, you know, like uh-huh. Kat, the yeah. choreographer and everyone. And I was so impressed with us. We were pretty good. We really did. And we you and I have a little dance kid. moment. We, yes. have a little, we have a little dance moment. I was really. Yeah. So I studied um, growing up. I thought I wanted to be a dancer. That was one of the things that I don't know I used to go around telling people I was going to go to Juilliard for dance and my dad eventually sat me down and was like you have to stop telling people that because I love you but you are not getting into Juilliard for dance I was like I mean you know (laughs) how old are you older than was appropriate for me to be like in high school like people were taking it seriously like oh you must be amazing yeah to be like real talk here right I was okay. I mean, like, I have the... I'm a really good faker, is what it Got is. It. You know? I understand that. I have those ballet fundamentals. Yes. But, like... Which go a long way, because if you do not have them, like yeah. me, <laughs> you are screwed. It's harder, but I could never keep up with, like... I would never call myself a dancer, you right. know? Like, I wouldn't go to a dance audition and then, like, see the people flipping and turning and... I but you are an actor yes. who can dance. Yes. And yeah. an, uh, what do I say? I'm an advanced mover. Oh, I love Ooh, that. I like is that. what I say. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like that. For sure in the interviewal camp. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. And you can keep up. I can keep up. You can fake it like Once we start us. jumping in the air, right. then I'm... Then they pan over and leave me out of that show. <laughs> As exampled by <laughs> Group Mind has declared that you're, you're in love. I know. That was a really great crop yeah, they really cropped me out of one of those moments and i do not blame them i begged for them to keep it me out was of that great moment. it was great yeah no one needs to know except for just us in the clubhouse so uh clark what is your personal paranormal history yeah i would say my relationship with it um i mean to say that i'm a psychic is definitely the way that you are you <laughs> saying that you're an advanced thinker yeah like i'm a, i i'm intuitive and i uh i was listening to your as i was driving over here the conversation you had with donna lynn oh yeah mm-hmm. i'm definitely an empath i definitely have that same feeling okay. of um it's more just like if you think about we're all made of Stardust, you know that yeah, concept. Absolutely, Moby taught us all about that in the late nineties. Yes, and Neil deGrasse Tyson with and and all these astrology and astronomy things. It's more just that there are times when I feel connected to the universe and other people in the universe and experiences in the universe, but I have no control over it. Like I couldn't. So you're not a god, is what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, I Dang. couldn't, like, foresee. I can't give you any predictions or... Um, but I do have a lot of deja vu. Okay. A lot of moments where I'm like, oh, I've definitely... Oh, and the door's going to open, and then it opens. Oh, well, wow. Like, really? Yeah. Uh, but it's never... It's nothing consequential, you know? Like... Right. 
and being an actor, I wish it was. I wish I could be like, oh, I won't go to that audition because I know I won't get it. But I definitely will go to this one because <laughs> yes. I definitely will. Just don't go to auditions. <laughs> you know? Because like, you're not getting most of that. Right, exactly. <laughs> Just like chill out. Um, save a lot of time. Yeah. But my relationship, I would say, it started with Harry Potter in that world, I think. Oh, no. The dark arts really warped your mind. They All did. those Christians were right. I know. Well, I was going through it right at the same time that he was. I was the same age as Harry and Ron and Hermione in the books when I was reading. So I was like, oh, this is me. I was so sure my parents kept my Hogwarts letter away from me, you know? Because I wanted to go to boarding school. I wanted to go away, and they were like, no, we won't send you away. And I found the first Harry Potter book, and I was like, oh, my God, I know it. They're just... They're keeping my letter from me, and the owls are going to find... I, like, would leave my window open at night for the owls to come in. And they'd be like, what is wrong with you? Close the window. Um... And then, so, like, fantasy, witchcraft, all that kind of stuff. I'm just sort of a fan of it. And we've talked. I mean, I loved True Blood. I oh, watched right. every episode. So it's, like, that kind of stuff. A I'm, very realistic show yeah. about witchcraft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, and vampires. And vampires crying blood. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, I would say, my relationship with it. I'm, I'm more of a, I'm a fan. Got it. So you've now walked back from I'm a psychic to I'm a fan. (laughs) I think the quote, Michael, was I'm a little psychic. (laughs) I think I said little. Okay, cool. But maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I was just really trying to secure a spot on this podcast. When you have when you when you have those like images or visions of the you say like and then the deja vu moments. Yeah. uh, When you're in those moments, are you experiencing them like? Oh, I remember this happening in a dream, or where where do you feel like that that, or have you lived it before? It's con- it. That's the part that I can't quite figure out because I've also read a couple of psychological studies that say that deja vu. There are a lot of scientists who don't believe that deja vu is even a thing. They believe that it's this chemical, basically your brain just releasing the same chemical that it releases releases when you feel familiarity. You mm. know, so almost like a misfiring rather than an actual predictive vision so the moment comes up as a memory even though it's not been processed exactly and that is a little bit what it feels like but it's just there's more depth to it like when i when i when i have the experience i i go into it being like oh i remember having this before i remember feeling a certain feeling attached to it like i had one a couple of weeks ago and I remember as I was going into it, I was like, oh, why Why was I so anxious when I was having this feeling, whether it was in a dream or a memory? And then I remembered it was because in that moment, there was the context of I was waiting to hear back on an audition I had gone on. And I was like, oh, okay, that totally makes sense why I felt so anxious and stressed about this specific vi- vision of my coffee cup. With what the was scene. it? I mean, that's the other thing about it is like a lot of times the deja vu isn't even a whole narrative or a whole scene of like, mm. ah, the person enters and hello and what's happening. A lot of times it's just uh, we were joking about the visuals being the only thing that matter. Sometimes it's just a visual, you know, like literally it was my coffee cup sitting on my kitchen counter releasing steam in a very certain way in a very certain light. And I was like, I've seen this before. And why am I so anxious? Why am I so nervous? Why am I so stressed? I'm just standing in my kitchen. Yeah. So sometimes it's a dream. Sometimes it's a a memory, almost the way you would think about like um, something that happened to you three weeks ago, the way you'd think of it now as like an experience you had. I, but it's hard to explain. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because it's like um, 
you know, I don't believe it. It's just some like, you know, brain chemical that's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a common feeling of anxiety, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Terrence McKenna once said that like history is the shockwave of eschatology, which basically mm. means that everything, you know, time is a man-made invention. Yes. And so that everything that's happened or ever has happened is happening at the same time. At the same time. And so really when you experience a deja vu, it's somewhat like throwing a Did rock into a deja vu. A, a deja vu. <laughs> it's like throwing a rock into a pond. And what it is, is it's really like a ripple coming back and, and that was the name of Bryce's meeting boy band gr- in 1994. <laughs> deja vu. Deja vu. Yeah. It's a pretty good one too. That <laughs> feels right to me. A great point. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Thanks Mike. Um, I missed it. <laughs> All he and I is talked deja over vu. <laughs> well, that's also sort of the relationship that I have that explains the relationship I have with this house ghost. Mm-hmm. That I have. I moved into this. Um, it's just a two bedroom, you know, small house in mid city, so, sort of like in the flat lands, if you will, where mm-hmm. you know where there's just like one house after the other. Um, it was built in the nineteen in nineteen twenty originally, a small Spanish style home. And the moment we moved in, I was like, oh, there are definitely people here. There are definitely spirits. And my roommate at the time was like, LOL, you're always telling me Mercury's in fucking retrograde <laughs> and the stars are out of a line. Like there right. are no ghosts. Um, and it was it, it's just this feeling of we're living in this house at the same time, yeah. you know, like sometimes I'll just be in the house and, and it feels like someone's making food in the kitchen and I'm in my bedroom and I'm like, but I live here alone and I go out and, the, you know, it's empty, but there's just that. Feel you know that feeling of people walking around your house, you sure. know? Yeah. yeah. Um, or every now and then. When I, I mean, f- thankfully, no. <laughs> I don't want. <laughs> Do you that. not have house ghosts? <laughs> no, I've 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 done everything in my power to keep all spirits and ghosts away from. What do you do? <laughs> uh, it's interesting. You know, I've I've burnt sage and right. uh, that I've kind of did that before we you know right before we moved in and stuff and this is on the threshold of his front door. <laughs> I, I do. Dog rules. I, I, yeah. yeah, I mark a lot of territory <laughs> sure. and uh, it's just my own kind of little personal um, keep away type thing. Well, I want to know what that is yeah, based on no. the hand gesture that you yeah. just made. <laughs> yeah. What? What are you, are you casting? Some Doctor Strange level spells? Perhaps. Yeah. No, but I, I'm really not. Impressive. I'm not into that. I don't like the uh, the idea of ugh, spirits around. Right. The house. Yeah. How much are you keeping from us? <laughs> You'll never know. That's the real question. Of this I show. don't like the way that you answer that question by not making eye contact with me. I, anyway, you were saying, Clark. I was just saying, I've, I've mm. done all of those things. I've burned, I burned sage weekly yeah. and Palo Santo, and still, this, I think she's a woman. She will not leave. And she's not even, it, it's neither a positive nor a negative energy it's just this neutral sort of like yeah we're roommates and we're gonna live together i guess i love that you call it a house ghost like a house guest right Right. yeah right or like well i'm hoping that she eventually will leave if you could get some rent money out of her that'd be (laughs) we'd all be winning clark i hate to say it i think you're the house guest (laughs) i know i'm waiting for those tides to turn but they just won't have you seen her I she felt, physically manifested at all? Not physically, in no. Um, yeah, so the the a couple of times when I first moved in, it was that feeling of um, a, a friend of mine wrote it off as just, oh, you just moved into a new house, and so you're getting used to. He said, you're getting used to friend, the shadows. Who is this friend? Getting used to the shadows. Yeah. No, he was a friend that I used oh, to work okay. with, 
uh, he very opposite of Airy Fairy. He was very like Lant, you know, in the physical world. You're just getting used to the shadows, Clark. Right. The yeah. darkness <laughs> rounds you at all times. Whatever that means. <laughs> you must be on high alert. Yeah, you know, Call me a skeptic. His thoughts it's your mind. Like... It's you versus your mind and your deepest <laughs> yeah. fears, Clark. There's we all no hallucinate. Deja vu is a chemical. <laughs> You're thinking too much. Not real. I was born in the shadows, Clark. Turns <laughs> out you're from Gotham City. Yeah, exactly. Your best friend's Batman. Um, and so it's just it was just this feeling of being watched. You know, like are you you guys watch Doctor Who? Occasionally. Mm. So they're um in the David Tennant mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. with the iconic Catherine Tate as the uh, Doctor's companion. There's an episode where they go somewhere and she gets this bug, this beetle attached to her back that she can't see, and she oh, keeps trying to look over her back. And the beetle basically, like, controls, you know, she makes these different choices and the whole universe changes. Um, but the whole, the way that the doctor describes it is that thing that's just out of the corner of your eye. Yeah. And you write it off because every time you look at it directly, you can't see it. Uh, but you know it's there. And that, I would say, is the relationship that I have with her. Where sense. Yes. She'll sometimes just hover and she likes to watch me sleep. There are a lot of times when I have sleep paralysis yeah. and I know she's, like, hanging out. And then there was one time where uh, it was in July, you know, the hottest month of this summer. Burst in your bedroom (laughs) carrying sparklers? No, No, not not quite. You're a grand old flag. I wish, I really wish it was that. Uh, No, it was hot. It was so hot. And all of a sudden, and I was changing, I was like putting on my pajamas. And all of a sudden, I was overcome, almost like she had inhabited my body. Uh. It was just this like chill and i went from sweating you know like a hundred degrees outside and my house is not my house doesn't have air conditioning so i went from sweating to like i had to bundle up because i was so cold shivering and then i had a panic attack because i was like shivering and seizing and i was like get out she wouldn't leave and i did you say that did you say get out i did i was like please like get out leave me alone and then maybe after, like, my, my dog came over and, like, sat next to me and was just, like, very calm. And he's normally a psycho. He's this, like, high-strung labradoodle. Mm. Um, so he was chilling. He was like, are you okay? He's chilling. And then finally the ghost just left. Whoa. It was really bizarre. Yeah. But it was more of a feeling than I- I've never seen her. I've mm. never, like, she's never physically manifested what do you, What's her name? What do you call her? I don't. I'm afraid to give her a name. Probably a like, good thing. Good, good call. Yeah. I feel like if you find out what her name is, though, then by uh, I believe it's the Kabbalistic rules, then you have command over the spirit. Right. right. Yeah. I'm really just nervous to engage with her at all, or to even ask. You know, what's the history of? Because the my landlord bought this house a couple years ago as a you know to flip the property so right. he doesn't even know the full history of the house mm, got it so i don't know it's very it's very scary at times but at other times it's very neutral i would say go to the public library do some microfishing mm-hmm. and see if you can find the <laughs> history of the house and some photos of this old lady and then discover that she used to be part of an evil coven. It's always like my favorite part of the movie too. Yeah. When they head to the library mm-hmm. and do the research and the music cues and I mean, I think you got to go to the Culver City <sighs> Public Library. I might. And check I it might out. I do. Yeah. 
Um, we could just go Ouija board over over there and. Well, yeah, maybe we should just come do a home investigation. Yeah, a you're more than episode. We've never done it. Yeah, yeah, on the road. Um, <laughs> you're more than welcome to. Oh. Yeah, because there's a story. Do you know about the Bell Witch of Tennessee? No, that sounds familiar. <laughs> do you know about? You want to know about it? Like, <laughs> yeah. he's talking about like a you know a ghost that hasn't bothered him too much. And my, well, you know, this reminds me of the Bell Witch. <laughs> let me uh, let me fill you in. Well, I don't want to scare you, but you're you should now. be fucking scared. Right, right. <laughs> so it's definitely a poltergeist, and she wants to kill you. Um, no, uh, in that story, this is a family in like the 1800s. Actually, I think it was like 1700s. I can't remember now. But um, they uh, had some sort of entity that they the, they believe it became stronger because they engaged with it. And right. like it started off with like knocking, and then they knock back, and they'd be like, knock once for yes or twice for no. And then it started talking to them. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, you could engage and see if you can get some real activity, but then that does give it a lot more Open the doors. Right. Well, that's the other thing. My relationship with the paranormal is more also, like, I understand that it exists and... uh, and I coexist with it. Yeah, I And love because that. of all the things that we talked about. But I would never, uh, like Donna Lynn was talking about going on those tours and all that stuff. I would never go seek out a paranormal experience. Mm-hmm. Really? No, I'm way too scared. Oh my really? gosh, no. Honestly, I had to, <laughs> uh, funny fun fact about the way I consumed True Blood, in case you're curious. I had to watch it after it aired on HBO so I can fast forward to see what's going to happen. Oh. And then this is how I watch pretty much everything scary at all. And then go back, like, you know, like, <laughs> do they die? How right. do they die? Do oh, they wow. die? What happens? Because on that show, <sighs> characters would just explode. Yeah, and you'd be like, I know. What? <laughs> I know. And then you're out of a and job. Then you're gone. I know. I right. know. And then I'm like, well, there goes my character. You know, there's the yeah. one that I loved. Oh, my God. <laughs> Your face right now. And then you're Sorry. out of a job. Sore spot. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I technically died some... twice on that show. <laughs> How did you remind me the two ways? Well, I, I was a human. Oh, And then right. I became a vampire, so in order to become a vampire. Yes. Right? It happened off screen. But right. I, yes, I, yes, I, yes. I died. I forgot that part. Birth, and I, death. And, and then, then the true death. Didn't, it wasn't it the one, were you the one on, on TV and... No, 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 no. That was Russell Edgington played by okay. Denzel Hare, who yes. the newscaster. Oh, I was yes. held okay. into the sunlight by Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, okay. Mm. Uh, tragic. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff, it scares me so much, so I can't engage with it in a fun way. What are you afraid of happening? Um, Like, you already live with a ghost. What, right. what are you scared of? That's true. I, I think it's more that... Um, <laughs> It's more that I know, you know, you were you're saying, "Am I smart?" That that same that that uh, quote where the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the deeper I get into this world of paranormal anything, it's more that I'm afraid of I don't know what could happen, and I just don't want to leave anything up. So you're scared well, of the unknown. I'm very scared. And of you know, the if I may, like. Mm-hmm. You saying yourself that you're empathic, you know, yeah. and and I can relate to that. I mean, I, I, f- I feel heavily a lot of sometimes what people feel, you know, and it's like if you're going to like, as we've been saying, sort of in, engage in this thing, you don't want to feel what perhaps 
you know, uh, these things could be feeling. Yeah. You, you feel like you're very open to it. You know what I mean? I, I yes. can relate to that in a sense, you know? And I take it with me, you know, yeah. when someone, even just like if someone's in a bad mood, if someone's mm-hmm. sort of, uh, you know, sad or angry or stressed or whatever, or happy, I always take it off. I leave with that, you yeah. know? And I'm... And I hold on to it for a long time. So I'm afraid of what this woman could have gone through. Totally. The trauma, you know. Because I also, the little that I know about ghosts, there's a lot of this, if you're not crossing over, maybe there's unfinished business or maybe there was a trauma that you experienced while you were here. Mm -hmm. And I really don't want to engage with that either. Especially after having (laughs) the whole like coming into your body thing and then experiencing that and the cold. That sounds terrifying it was it was just very um yeah and i think i've had experiences in other apartments here in la where there have been ghosts and they've been more fun they've been more um playful or happy maybe like a child spirit how so um the first apartment that i moved into in west hollywood uh it just it you know the building was one of those buildings with the carport you know sort of like mid-century clearly hadn't been renovated in decades um, and, and, you know, things would just like fall over, uh, there would be no seismic activity at the time, but a thing would fall off the wall or, mm-hmm. um, the lights would flicker, um, things like that. But, I, but being empathic, I felt the positive energy from the mm. ghost the whole time, you know? Whereas when I walked into this house, I was just like, mm, this is... Better stay away. <laughs> yeah. Don't engage. Right. Right. Does this <clears throat> run in your family? Um... If it does, no one talks about it. Okay. I my mom came out here. I'm from the East Coast. I'm from Atlanta, uh, down south. My grandmother is very religious, very Christian. You know, they she did not love that I loved Harry Potter. You know, she yeah. at first was she has come around on all that stuff, but she to the point of realizing it's just stories, right? It's just fairy tales. Yes, yes, it's just fun. But at the time, she did not feel that way. Um. And my mom has always been very open-minded, but she's very like, none of this is real. <laughs> this I love, is all bullshit. I love the dichotomy of what happened with the Harry Potter phenomenon thing because, you know, it's one <clears throat> one lady, J.K. Rowling, and she couldn't even, you know, it, go under her name as a woman. She used yeah. J.K. to like to make sure that she could get it to as many people in the hands of many people as possible. But it started this reading sensation amongst yes. the youth like before like you know kids just weren't reading books like they used to but you know after these books came out people just started gobbling them up you yes. know and it was funny because while they're reading a lot of these kind of you know uh, religious people across the the states were like well, they're consuming sorcery and magic and they were <laughs> it was like they were literally like burning books again it was like you had these two kind of like it worlds was wild. Was, yeah totally wild um yeah, and you know, I so the whole relationship with um, she came out to LA maybe six months ago, uh, or maybe almost a year ago, and uh, I was talking her through because I think I've become more like this since living out here. You know, I love astrology, I love to talk about, I, I basically love to give any excuse for why something isn't working mm-hmm. to someone other than me. <laughs> right. As long as then I don't have to blame myself, yeah, right, right. then I'll go with it. Uh, and I went through this long thing explaining that experience, how the ghost came into my body. And uh, <laughs> and I looked at her and I was like, you know what I mean? And she goes, no. 
now. I have no <laughs> idea what the fuck you're talking about. Right. You sound crazy. Right. She was like, please do not tell anybody that story ever. <laughs> so Cut to you on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So I live in, in, in the in-between where I, I sort of choose to believe as opposed to maybe like, uh, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I think Bryce in Bryce's story, there's another good point, which is like there's such a large swath of the population, at least in this country, that really believes in supernatural powers. And the reason they're scared of Harry Potter is because they think it's the dark arts are related to Satan and mm-hmm. that there right. are actual dark arts out there. That are going to come get them, you know, which is so funny because I would imagine a handful, if not a majority of that same religious population would then poo poo the idea of anything that is paranormal that isn't related to the Bible. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's just it is fascinating to think how much we really are as people wired to think about things in the terms of the supernatural or the Mm -hmm. paranormal or the superstitious. And I wonder, you know, doing this show, how much of it is just the way, you know, maybe our brains are wired to, to, to mistake a uh, cognitive filing system for a preternatural vision and deja vu. Um, you know, how much of it is just like us interpreting our bodies and our chemicals for Mm -hmm. magic, you know? I don't know. Then we're sort of predisposed to think about things in supernatural ways, and maybe some of this is just... Or there is an entity, a higher intelligence, that is sharing (laughs) space with us, and we can, all of us, have these abilities to tap in. You know, when you said, you know, as a little psychic, I I believe everybody has the ability to tap into these super sensible realms. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like what you said earlier, too, like... I sort of chose to believe it. And I think I think at some point it does become a choice. Like, mm-hmm. do I d- am I going to make the choice where I'm just going to d- deny the existence of whatever whatever this is that is sharing the space with us here? Or am yeah. I going to like choose to say, yeah, there's there's a stranger part of reality that exists. And, you know, and I'm open to um, acknowledging that. You yes. Know? I think that's very true. Yeah. Especially since we're so young as, you know, a species and we just don't know. There's so much we don't know. Yeah. Um, and just the amount that we've, you know, the technological advances of the last century um, alone. Just, just think about the things we have still to figure out. So it's, it's this acceptance that I don't know a lot, mm-hmm. and, um, and that understanding of that other. Uh, I wish I could. I'm saying all these quotes. I can't remember who to attribute any of them to. Which just like <laughs> contrary, do it all the time. you thought of them. <laughs> contrary to my entire uh, college experience, um, that that the quote where any uh, technology te- is indistinguishable from, from magic, magic. Arthur yes. C. Clarke. Yes, there. Thank you. You're welcome. That one. He even ha- we even share a name, <laughs> and I couldn't remember. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, but that same that same concept of yeah. like, there's this world that exists around us and we think it's magic or um but yeah just being connected to it and connected to the universe i think also that that has made me um more understanding of other people you know we're all the same all the stuff that we put on top 
type of, you know, race, gender, sexual orientation, it's all a construct and yep. we're all literally related to each other. I couldn't agree more. So it's the, that's the other piece of the paranormal that I really like is that, um, you know, through Harry Potter, through True Blood, through a lot of these, um, uh, through Sabrina, the reboot, you know, you're able to use um, paranor- the paranormal or witchcraft or uh, anyone who's other as an allegory for, you know, race and... uh, Well, not only that, but also as a tool to break down a binary system. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that that's really fascinating. And that's been true of the, for lack of a better term, the occult for centuries was a way to take down and to look at the binary patriarchal system in a much different way. And be like, it's not all just these societal rules aren't all that's not the be all mm-hmm. end all you know what i mean yeah and there are different ways of looking at the universe i think that there are things that are you know, clearly universally considered <coughs> destructive and harmful um but uh yeah i think that a lot of this stuff makes us and certainly for me helps me to question you know, to to use a '90s term like question authority. Hell yeah, you know. <laughs> down with that. But I think that that's a really good. You know what I mean? And I think absolutely shows like Harry, you know, or books like Harry Potter and shows you're talking about. They mm-hmm. True Blood certainly, you know, the allegory takes it one step further to help like you really take action in terms of the way you think about society. And totally. you know what? To 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 piggyback off that, you know, is not to just question authority, but to question the nature of reality. You know what I mean? But we isn't all... that authority in a sense? It absolutely is. Mind. It absolutely yes. is. You know what I mean, I mean? Some people call reality God and say God's the authority, and then yeah, I don't know. No, but... no, that's exactly right. I, I I believe it's one and the same thing. You know, um, that's and... what it comes down to for me. And we've talked about this multiple times on the show, but like. I was thinking about it when Clark was talking is that like we just we even even though we know some rules of science and physics, we still don't know what the fuck no, that's existence right. is. That's we right. don't know mm-hmm. what the universe is. You right. know? Exactly. It could be nothing. It could just be what it is. Yeah. But we don't know. And we're in it. So how can we tell? It's like being a fetus in a uterus and being like i don't know and being like this is all there is to it and then suddenly you're born into a whole other reality yes. you know what i mean mm-hmm. we have no idea when we're inside of it what we are and death yeah. again is probably a rebirth on its own That's and then you're born into this yeah. other reality again you know? i like to think that on and on and on yeah i'd like to think that and that's i think why i like to believe in um extraterrestrial life as well because the idea that you know my understanding of this physical world being limited to the dimensions I can experience, you know, um, what does happen afterwards? Where do the knowing that energy is neither created nor destroyed, it's just transferred. Mm-hmm. So where does it go? But then I also go in the reverse. Where where did it come from? You know, how did I, all these atoms, come together to make me in this experience right now? Yeah. That's where was I before and where yeah. am I going? I love that, too. I'm more fascinated with the pre as far as the post. Like, mm-hmm. I'm fascinated with what happens to us, you know, after we die. But I'm more fascinated <coughs> by, like, what you just said. Where did where did the original intelligence come I from? I you know? tend to think that <coughs> wherever we go, it's a return to wherever our consciousness came from. And, right. I agree with that. And the just how we have no memory. Memory of us before, you know, well, literally until probably around two years old, but right. before our birth, um, you know, and I find comfort in that from an 
from an atheist's point of view, as well as maybe there's something larger out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just feel like wherever we go, it's back to the place or a place like we were at before we were on this. But who made that place, man? Right. Well, sure. But I'm just saying, if it's nothing, it'll be just like the centuries before, you know, billions of years before I was born. Yeah. <laughs> and I won't care and I won't know. And or it'll be back to some hyper plane of reality where our consciousness is like having way more fun than we are. There's no such thing as nothing. No thing. Nothing is, in fact, something, Mm. you know, Um, I I don't think our minds can actually comprehend what it is of non-existence. You know what I mean? So many people talk about the Big Bang. I'm like, well. You know, and they point it to as a singularity where all things spread out in a matter of, you know, um, seconds. But what was before the Big Bang? What's outside the parameters of that so-called singularity point? You know, it's not nothing. There has to be something, you know, holding that center of space. I mean, I don't know. You can go on and on. Infinity man. It's helping me get through the Trump administration. I'll tell you that. I know. All right, guys. So, Clark, we have a game we like to play with all of our guests. It's called Bullshit or Believe It. Ooh, okay. Uh, so I'm going to go down a list of topics, and you're going to say bullshit if you don't believe in it. Uh huh. Or believe it if you buy it. Okay. All right. Is it rapid fire? Rapid Do I have fire. to? Okay. And we can circle back. If you're like not sure, you want to come back, you know, make a choice, and we can come back and talk about it more. Okay, cool. On your mark, get set. <laughs> Ghosts. Uh, believe. UFOs. Believe. Bigfoot. Believe. Angels. Believe. Gnomes. Um, <laughs> uh, neutral. Believe. Uh, I haven't uh, thought about fairies. that. Fairies. Honestly. Fairies. Uh, um, pr- uh, probably bullshit. Unicorns. Uh, bullshit. Loch Ness Monster. Believe. Believe. Aliens. Believe. Parallel universes. Believe, definitely. Shapeshifters. Um, bullshit. Mermaids. Believe. Heaven. Believe. Hell. Bullshit. Dragons. Uh, believe. Yeti. Believe. Elves. Um, bullshit. ESP. Believe. Chupacabra. Um, <laughs> believe. Demons. <laughs> uh, believe. Atlantis. Believe. Life on other planets. Believe. World peace. Believe. Peace in the multiverse. Believe. Cool. Nice. Yeah, I'm a believer. Nice. Pretty heavily. uh, In general. So, uh, yes to maybe to gnomes, but bullshit to elves and fairies. Thought about gnomes, truthfully. We have an episode on gnomes. (laughs) Really? You should circle back. I will have to because I don't know anything about them. They're curmudgeony old. Men who right. live in barns. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm going to maybe say bullshit, I guess. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Which ones did I say I believed in? I also liked your... Uh, <laughs> you got yes to mermaids. Yeah. yeah you yeah, passed yeah, on yeah. that. Thank Bryce goodness. on the mermaids. <laughs> Do you know, though, I have to be honest, a big part of that is that I recently saw the Aquaman movie. Uh-huh. Oh, me too. I saw and the other day. I just pray to God that some of those hot fish men exist. <laughs> I mean, that movie. Well, I know uh, someone who will happily take a submarine below the surface yeah. of the ocean with you. You know, they say we've explored more surface area of the moon than we have the depths yes. of our ocean That floors. line is in the yes. movie. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay, it yeah. Is. Yep. Yeah. Still haven't seen yeah. it. I also um, noticed you said yes on heaven, no to hell, but yes on demons. Right. You're not the only one to do yeah, that. I think that's very interesting. Surprisingly right. Common. So... Uh, but just to finish on Aquaman yeah. oh, before yes. we get to that, right. um, it is, I think, 
well, his abs are a big part of why I enjoyed it. Fair enough. So I don't know if you Got will it. also. I, I, I also think if you get high and, and experience that, it yeah. was like being on Universal Studios, like 3D. Totally. At one point, I turned to my friend and was like, is this 3D? Wow, And she amazing. was like, no, yeah. you're just very high. Wow. Also, don't tell anyone about that ghost. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's Avatar meets Star Wars meets Game of Thrones underwater. Got it. Yeah. I mean, That's it sounds like I really like it. So awesome. I know I haven't gone yet. I, I enjoyed it. That's a raving uh, review. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's, uh, you know. It's it's not. It looks like cheese ball fun. Yeah, it's not yeah. great art, but right. it's it's good fun. Yes, it looks like it's yeah. bonkers. My six year old like son, that. when we were watching, goes, "The acting in this is horrible." <laughs> <laughs> your six year old sounds like an old film I critic. Know, I, know. Yeah. I, was like, I was like, "That's funny," but you're actually kind of odd. Yeah, we uh, that. <laughs> That's so funny. I don't think it's six. I noticed acting. Right. Oh, man. That is hilarious. But the heaven-hell distinction, mm. I think, is because it's sort of what we were talking about just before we got into the game. I've sort of merged my Christian theology with this sort of universe, uh, you know, all the stuff that we were just talking about. Sort of this idea that what if Christianity is uh, it, an allegory to explain what we can't, you know, a human attempt to explain the divine experience that we're incapable of yes. fully comprehending and that God can be the universe, you know, the sort of energy that flows through that same concept of we were something before we'll be something when we, you know, whether it's this table or, you know, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I just did pointed to not a table, but uh, <laughs> I see it. <laughs> it's here in the future. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I don't believe in hell because I think hell is this sort of, um, when I say heaven, I don't think of it as like, oh, you, the pearly gates and a angel. place, a physical place. Right. I think of it more as the way actually Oprah, funnily enough, describes just like rejoining that light source that we all came from mm -hmm. and um, that we all go back to. That's what I think of as God. That's what I think of as the divine. That's what I think of as heaven. And that's why I also believe in demons, because whether they're physical, whether they actually like whether you see them or not, I do think that those uh, like I, I, I see how demons manifest in other people in myself. Lower constantly. vibrational. Yeah. Con yeah, all the time. Energy. Pulling you down just like into the depth. So uh, so I think that's the that's the distinction sure. for no. me. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we shall return. Uh, to the light of a Bryce Johnson guided high strangeness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You're in for a good one. <laughs> and we're back. Exclamation point. <laughs> Be careful of the dark. <laughs> it can um, play tricks on you. <laughs> that's not bad. So most of us know... John Keel as the man who wrote the 2002 hit movie The Mothman Prophecies. Time out. Did he write the movie? He wrote the the book, and the the script was based off somebody. Uh, some, I didn't know if he wrote the screenplay. No, no. I should have wrote uh, the book based on, but anyway, starring Richard Gere. We're already off on a strong foot. Sorry. That's all right. I love it. Based on the true story of a strange winged creature with red glowing eyes that seemed to haunt the small town residents of Point Pleasant, West Virginia in and around 1967. A series of strange events that culminated in the collapse of the Silver Bridge 
killing 46 people in the icy waters of the Ohio River just days before Christmas. But to those who have a strange fascination with the hidden world, John A. Keel might be better known as the Hunter S. Thompson of the occult, a modern-day Mark Twain of the paranormal, or simply the father of high strangeness. Interested early on in the works of Charles Fort and a voracious reader of all things, including pulp magazines such as Amazing Stories, John felt a strange connection to the, well, strange, so much so that he recalls an early memory when he was a teenager of how and when the whole UFO thing broke. He remembers, I was standing in a carnival in my hometown, and I was in the middle of the midway, and a friend of mine came up and said, Hey, Keel, have you seen this newspaper story about this guy out west who saw some strange things over the mountains? And it was like a shock to me. I thought, oh my God, it's starting. I remember thinking that, that it's starting now. And of course, that was the beginning. What Keel was referring to was the famed saucer sighting of American aviator Kenneth Arnold, who was flying his plane near Mount Rainier when he claimed to have seen nine unusual objects flying in tandem on June 24, 1947, in what is generally considered the first widely reported modern unidentified flying object sighting in the United States. A few weeks later, something crashed in Roswell, New Mexico, ushering in the modern-day UFO phenomenon. Strange to think how Keel somehow knew or had an eerie sense that a new era had begun. These strange types of feelings would follow Keel throughout his life. Also, he's standing in a carnival while it happens. It's <laughs> scary in this place. Yeah. To have that notion. Born Alva John Keel on March 25, 1930 in Hornell, New York, the son of a small-time band leader, his parents separated early on, leaving him to be raised by his grandparents. A prolific writer, Keel had had his first article published by the age of 12, and in high school he started the school's newspaper called The Jester to poke fun at what he considered boring school days. Keel breezed through all the toughest science courses in one year, chemistry, physics, and so on. And after that, Keel dropped out of high school to pursue a career as a full-time writer, hitching a ride to New York City, a teenaged country bumpkin with 75 cents in his pocket forced to live the life of a hobo before finally landing a job as a poetry editor in Greenwich Village, a haven for the bohemian artist. When he was 18, he suffered something mystical he would never soon forget. He had a strange but classic illumination experience in his tiny furnished room off of Times Square. He remembered the room filled with an indescribable light, a pinkish glow, and his mind flooded with a torrent of information what some modern-day experiencers might call a download. A At, pinkish light? <clears throat> a pinkish light. Dude, yeah. Philip K. Dick talks about that in Vallis. Really? That mm -hmm. is on my next-to-read list. Dude, the whole Vallis thing is that a beam of pink light downloads all this information into his brain. Really? Yeah. That what, is wild. What years was is this happening in New York, in the village, East Village? Well, I'd have to re, uh, rework the math. He was 18 when he had that mystical experience, and he was born in 1930. Okay, so he's uh, we're talking late 50s, early 60s. So mm -hmm. that's yeah. like when the beat generation is really hitting, the East Village is really becoming like crazy part of New York. After that, he was drafted by the Army and assigned to Germany to write for what was at the time the biggest radio station in the world, American Forces Network. He then traveled to Egypt, where he had always felt a strange connection, a kinship to the Egyptian people there. Perhaps in a former life, he had served as a high priest, initiating the adepts into the occult mystery arts. One highlight of his career included broadcasting from within the Great Pyramid of Giza. 
<clears throat> it was around this time that Keel had his first UFO encounter near the old Oswan Dam. I was down there and there were a lot of people around. There must have been a scattering of like a hundred people all visiting the dam and so on. And we saw this circular thing that was spinning. It appeared in a clear blue sky. And this was in 1954. The thing what I saw was like this Saturn-shaped objects you've seen drawings of. In other words, it appeared the center of it was not moving, but the outside was spinning. A very odd thing. And various people were looking at it with me, and I asked some of them what they thought of it, and what it was, and what the altitude was. And everyone had a different answer. You had 200 witnesses, and you had 200 different answers. Right there, in two seconds, I was convinced that flying saucers existed. Keen then left for Baghdad and took the long trip down through the Persian Gulf, ending up in India, where he spent a great deal of time debunking the so-called paranormal events, such as life burials, snake charmers, and the legendary rope trick, in which he had long been fascinated with. It was around that time that Keel published his first book, Jadu, a Hindu word for black magic. Keel traveled to some amazing and mysterious places until, in a most ironic twist, he was branded as, branded as an undesirable alien adventurer. I love that. A spy, if you will. And was shipped unceremoniously to Italy by British authorities. For a short time while John was in India... Sounds like he annoyed an entire country. <laughs> yeah, several of them. <clears throat> For a short time while John was in India, he made a point to trek through the Himalayan mountains to befriend and research the famed Tibetan monks with their incredible and legendary powers of the mind. And perhaps snap a photo of the legendary Yeti, which he could then sell to Life magazine. When asked if he had ever spotted the elusive beast, John said, I was with some natives. I hate to use the word natives. I was with some of the people there, and I was a stranger. And across the lake, we saw a brown figure, a large brown figure, moving around in the bush across the lake. And the natives with me said, that was a Yeti. Now, it could have been a bear, or it could have been anything, but they told me it was a Yeti because they knew it would make me happy, and so that was my Yeti. <laughs> I saw the famous nice. Yeti footprints a couple of times, which are huge. If you see the footprints, you say, well, maybe I don't want to meet this guy. According to Keel, he initially sought to explain UFOs as extraterrestrial visitations, but later abandoned this hypothesis. His third book, UFOs, Operation Trojan Horse, published in 1970, linked UFOs to supernatural concepts such as monsters, ghosts, and demons. Keel used the term ultra-terrestrials to describe UFO occupants he believed to be non-human entities capable of taking on whatever form they want. With all these strange occurrences happening to and around him, John's ideas of what he would commonly refer to as the phenomenon began to crystallize, a journey down the rabbit hole in which he took notice of a world with many hidden, perhaps natural mysteries which we seem to somehow interact with and interpret, an invisible, reflexive environment that can somehow manipulate us in any way, and not always for the best. John was not afraid to mention that things could be dangerous, deadly even. In recent years, there have been a number of deaths caused by flying saucers, apparently because of the radiation from the object. There have been two or three in South America in which the witness who was closest to the object dies almost immediately of leukemia or some other diseases caused by radiation. We do try to warn people as gently as possible that if they should ever be lucky or unlucky enough to see one very close, 
they should be cautious and not run up to it saying, Welcome to Earth! Because <laughs> you never know what's going to pop out of these things. When asked if he felt this phenomenon was conscious or merely reactive, he replied, When I was investigating UFOs, I realized that something was playing games with us. Cosmic jokers, if you will. And that, would, that, and that it was all some sort of a cruel joke that they were playing on us. And that whatever our interpretations or expectations were, the phenomenon would then mold itself to it, leading him to wonder perhaps if we are the source of the phenomenon. To cite an example, John recalls hearing a news story on NBC during the great UFO flap of 1973, when a woman in the South not only recalls seeing a UFO, but that on the side of the craft were painted the letters UFO. And while it proved an amusing anecdote for the newscast, John suspected this was probably true, the ultimate joke. Keel would always try to outguess the phenomenon, but it proved only the more difficult as it, was o as it would always stay one step ahead of him. On a number of occasions when he was most active in his research, he would go to some obscure farm down some obscure road to interview a farmer about some strange thing they witnessed, a story which had not been publicized yet. And as he would walk into the farmhouse, the phone would start to go crazy. Keel would pick it up, but there would be no one on the other end of the line. And the farmer would be amazed because this had never happened before. But hey, at least this time the phone was plugged into the wall and not just ringing on its own accord, something he experienced more than once while investigating the Mothman sightings. In several of his books, John mentions the interesting fact <clears throat> that he has been contacted by witches and magicians who have had similar experiences to himself, perhaps because witches and magicians can manipulate, call up, if you like, these energies by the power of emotion, saying, They've studied the same thing, but they haven't studied it from a ufological point of view. They've studied it from almost a religious point of view. Incidentally, in Point Pleasant, where the Mothman was appearing, after all the publicity that Mothman received, the town was inundated with rich witchcraft cults and things, and the walls and the power plant where the Mothman was first seen are now covered with graffiti from witches and magicians, pentacles of that kind of thing. John Keel felt most religions and spiritual systems where supernatural encounters took place were influenced by self-fulfilling prophecy, and that the people would see what they expected to see based on where and how they were brought up. There was a cultural and religious bias. Keel also noted that the smell of sulfur seemed to somehow permeate all these strange encounters with so-called demons and or the devil, along with UFO encounters, or UFOs, as he called them, and cryptids such as Bigfoots, where in fact the disintegration of these energy forms when they come into our world was where that smell came from. A paradox in his own right, he once had a business card printed that read, John A. Keel, not an authority on anything. Yet he had written for almost every magazine in the world, could fly a plane, had been to 40 countries, and was indeed an expert on herpetology, the study of snakes. Towards the end of his life and in some of his later writings, such as his book, The Eighth Tower, Keel, after all his research and interviewing witnesses and his direct relation to and contact with these supernatural forces, left him somehow baffled and bewildered and on an emotional level, disappointed that even with his vast intellect and knowledge of the subject, he couldn't for the life of him seem to connect all the dots and figure out the purpose behind this phenomenon. Interactions with mankind since the beginning of time, it proved too elusive, and that frustrated his efforts. 
so much so that by the end of his illustrious career as a writer and a boots-on-the-ground investigative journalist into all things high strangeness, he offered a warning to those looking to follow in his footsteps, and that warning was, stay away, find something better to do with your time. This will ultimately drive you mad. As an actor, it reminds me of the old story of the young thespian whom, seeking advice from his peer, asked, do you have any advice for me? To where the seasoned pro said, yeah, if you can think of anything else that you enjoy doing, do that. In the end, Keel had a feeling that whatever this intelligence was, that seemed to somehow be toying with humanity, that perhaps instead of magic or supernatural forces, it was all quite natural in its effects, that there was ultimately a scientific explanation for all of this, a science we had yet to uncover. I often think how John would have taken a keen interest and pleasure in the now recent underpinnings of quantum mechanics and their vast correlations between the world of the super strange and somehow impossible, a world where things pop into and out of existence. Once when asked why these things seem to take place in certain times and certain areas, a term John coined as windows, he replied in his usual sardonic manner, We're not smart enough to figure it out. Some of these things, of course, have no meaning at all, and some of them, there may be real meaning. Like these two men who materialized on a street to a woman, dressed in clothing that was way out of fashion, clothes from the 40s, and these men seemed very odd and sinister to her. They may have been on a special mission of some sort. Their mission, he surmised, was to go to a store and buy all the Keel books and take them back to the next dimension. Mm, what? <laughs> so, that really happened? Well, that, that was just him replying. Oh. That, that's probably what they were there doing. Oh, got it, got it, got it. But that's the story of John Keel. Dude, so uh, wow. I, to fix my bad math, he had mm. that thing in 1948. That yeah, experience. that would make sense. Yeah, when he was 18 I years old. 28. This is why. Yeah. I said before, it's not good at adding yeah. or subtracting. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Um, fascinating, dude. That dude's rad. And so I, rad. He looks like I never really looked him up until recently, and he looks like Burl Ives or like <laughs> Colonel Sanders. Yeah. Like he's a total, like, old school hipster. I always kind of pictured him looking like Richard Gere, I guess, because of of uh, of Mothman. Mothman prophecies the film. But he really is this like cherubic, like sort of like fedora old school overcoat. Dude. Yeah, yeah, he's like a really colorful figure. 
And I realize that I need to read all of his stuff. I, I haven't read n- enough of it. It's, I know. You know, I've read very little of his work. I haven't either. I've really only read interviews and excerpts from his books and stuff. But I just like made an order on Amazon the other day. I'm like, I've got to start reading some of this stuff. Is he's just a fascinating character, you know? And his, I think, his interpretations into what because nobody followed this thing closer nobody was more of an investigative i mean he he interviewed thousands of witnesses yeah and uh and he really quite became known as putting statistics to this thing so much so that uh and i think this is fascinating um once asked if the government was suppressing ufo reports john replied no they're ignoring them when asked what was the real (laughs) evidence to support the existence of flying saucers john replied the real evidence for all of this is statistical. Mm. Now we have literally hundreds of thousands of these sightings from all over the world, every country on the face of the earth going back hundreds of years, and we're gradually reducing all this to to, to statistical fact. This will give us the same kind of evidence that medicine uses to prove its surveys. For example, we found the highest percentage of all known sightings occurs on Wednesdays. Why this should be is anybody's guess. Dude, it that's when we drop our way. podcast. And not that's only right. that. Dude. Not only that, but 1030 on a Wednesday. So the best time to see a flying saucer is 1030 on a Wednesday. AM or PM. I don't know, I but I put both of them. Which in time zone? <laughs> yeah. We're also finding that an unusual number of sightings occur on the 24th of the month, especially if the 24th of the month happens to be a Wednesday. So there you go, folks. Set your iPhone calendars on a weekly reminder, because I certainly did. Seriously, I really did. Um, yeah, but so he was able to kind of put statistics to all this thing and come up with the fact of the best time to see something in the this sky. This dude is so cool. Yeah, he really I, is. Listening to his story, is like, you're like, because that, so he had his pink light moment like within a year of Roswell and the Kenneth Arnold sighting. Mm-hmm. So he was like really there at the birth of the UFO phenomenon. Yeah. Right. And then it'd just be like in the like dirtbag East Lower East Side during the beat <laughs> movement, during the counterculture movement in New York, and yeah. then just be like, I'm going to go to Tibet and annoy everybody and look for a Yeti. Like, <laughs> Yeah. It sounds like after that mystical experience, he really, it really cemented his his endeavors from that point on and he you know and, this and guy he, just did so much acid <laughs> so much psilocybin mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know uh, oh, i didn't read anything absolutely. about that <laughs> and i love i i also love his contribution of like the ultra terrestrial and the cosmic trickster yeah and this brings up another guy that i cannot fucking believe we've never talked about on the show but who's robert anton wilson and cosmic mm. the book cosmic trigger have any of you guys Mm-mm. read this book no. nope. Oh, man, we need to talk about Robert Anton Wilson because he really covers a lot of the stuff that John Keel talks about. Um, and he's fa- fascinating, funny, really bright guy of this generation. Mm. Um, he's sort of another – he's kind of like the Joseph Campbell of, of high strangeness oh, in wow. a lot of ways. Awesome. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's – completely accurate but um sounds cool sounds interesting to me (laughs) it is impressive to me yeah Yeah, and all our listeners should check out the book cosmic trigger because he talks about a lot of this stuff that that keel gets into Mm. and i wonder i would be interesting to look and see if those two guys ever had um uh interactions or if yeah so clark we ask all of our guests what Mm. the hell was that what do you make of you hear a story about this guy i mean this is fascinating. I love Bryce, by the way. Thank you. I love it when you mm. do 
deep dives or at least primers, if not a deep dive on some of these authors and investigators that we've had. You've done Johnny Mac. You've done uh, uh, was it Bob Lear, uh, Robert uh, Lear, Rick Strassman, Rick Strassman, yeah. and now um, uh, John Keel, who's a guy who's been popping up in our conversations. Yeah, recently. he really has been. You know, we've been talking about him, and we have a Patreon episode that'll be up by the time you listen to this, where we're going to do a recap of the Hellier TV series, and yeah. John Keel comes up a lot in that. He actually came up, I believe, in the Dewey Lake Monster we did with Starly Kind because he was yeah, it's synchronicitous in that. a way. He's been like you said, popping up in a lot of uh, our thoughts and, and yeah. conversations. But so, what um, do you think about this stuff? Ooh, I, I mean, mean, that's a lot. It is, but it, it it sort of I what I heard in it was this person who uh, is so clearly connected to something that I like. I I felt like I would be in a conversation with him, be like, yeah, yeah, I get mm-hmm. it. Like, but then to be surrounded by a world that was so, I mean, for, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. It feels like sort of like the acceptance of the paranormal is a yeah. more recent thing. So for him to be doing all of that stuff in the, what was it, 50, 40s, 50s, 60s. Yeah, 40s, 50s, and yes, 60s. 70s. Ooh. And, you know, he, it's like what you were saying earlier, and he, he sort of had this kind of cryptic, and a little eerie philosophy that when you start looking into the paranormal, the paranormal starts looking into you. Right. And, you know, and that always felt very kind of like... That made Riley uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> <Ruh>. <laughs> yeah. But I can attest to that, you know, on, yeah. a, on a certain level. And I Really? Think, yeah. And I think that there's... What there, are you not telling us? There's a truth to that. You when know will we mean? hear your story? <laughs> we got to keep this show going for a while, so we're just going to... I know. Bryce yeah. has an encounter that he's not told us about yet. Yeah. This is just a reminder... It's true. It's true. And Michael will so never smug. let it go. <laughs> I share everything. I'm like, I want to share. I, I'm listen. like, well, I saw the color yellow right twice now. today. Right now, and it's I think it's because me and my uh, this alien gray is trying to talk to me. Oh, and man. meanwhile, he's been sitting on something since the birth of this podcast. And he uh, one won't day share. I'll share. I will, I will absolutely lead. share. Yeah, uh-huh. that's but, progress. Yeah. yeah, and also the government piece. I Still think. no eye contact over here. None. <laughs> you were saying, Clark? <laughs> the government piece for me was the other thing that I picked up on because in in a lot of the um, in a lot of the TV shows about aliens or movies or whatever, the government is sort of always in yes. on it. You know, they are aware of the secrets and secret they, space program, government. Yes, th- yeah, right. exactly. And so th- that's that was sort of what I was thinking about was just like how much do they know that they're not telling us? Yeah. Or is it the opposite where they just like take it so unseriously as a threat that they aren't doing anything about it at all? Yeah. I think there's pockets that do. And then the majority doesn't. And then I, I don't know. I'm at a, I'm at a point now we've been talking about this for the past couple of weeks where uh, I'm at a point now, right now, and this could change and probably will, where I feel like the government doesn't know anything. I'm with you. And the government is just like, they probably have access to more information than we do, but they can't make any any more sense of it than, than like, the layman. Mm. I mean, maybe some, you know, but, I, you know, but then that's hard because then I go, well... If Roswell happened and they did retrieve a craft, then they've got to know more. Mm. And then I'm like, well, maybe then that didn't actually happen. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. It seems to be that's where the breaking point is because I agree with you, Mike. I, I, I seem to think, and from what I've read, is like, you know, the government really has 
just as much as idea of what this thing is as we do, which yeah. means not much. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's sort of like that thing of with uh, when you hear all these people say, well, I know when Jesus is coming back. And in the Bible, Jesus was like, mm-hmm. if they say they know the day, they don't know. Yeah. You know what and I mean? And also just... <clears throat> You know, every every I was just having this conversation actually this uh, with my uh, my sister recently, where every generation thinks it's the generation where the end of the world is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you go back and you read the stuff about the end times and the Book of Revelations, that was all supposed to happen within yeah like several times that period. Like people thought that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime yeah. that he died. Like so, yeah. everyone. Revelation has a lot to do with, like, the fall of Rome and Nero and all this other stuff. So uh, we always think the end of the right. world is coming. But there's that, there's that uh, sort of doubt a jing saying, those who know don't know. Those mm. who say they know don't know, you mm-hmm. know. And that always felt very apropos to yeah. ufology and, and, and as the phenomenon, as John Keel would call it. Yeah, it's fa- I, yeah. and I think a lot of this stuff, too— um, we had uh, Jeremy Corbell on last week, and we've been talking about Bob Bob Lazar, who's this guy who claims to work on UFOs for mm. the government back in the eighties. Oh wow! And I think I got to go on record by saying I don't believe that story. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> I just don't, yeah. and especially after doing some more research. And that's I think that the film does a great job of capturing that mythology and that story of Bob Lazar, and people are free to believe what they want. Uh, but uh, yeah, I it it all. I think the government doesn't know. It's a polarizing shit. topic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But you, there's also you can just find so many articles that argue so far. Well, in the, and I mean, you have a guy like John Keel, who is such a forward thinker in mm. this type of area. And, and you and when I think of government agencies, I don't think of anybody like anybody like the types of John Keel working for like the CIA or NSA. You know what I mean? Right. This guy was out on the grounds, you know pretty much every day for 20 years like talking to and you know what's so much of where people get caught up is like especially ufologists and even cryptozoologists is is they'll take stories of bigfoot and they'll take stories of ufos but as soon as something comes into their purview that that throws part of the story off like oh well the tracks of bigfoot just seem to disappear in the middle of the snow they're like oh we're gonna leave that out and you right. know and you and ufology where they're like oh he was a it was an alien that landed and he offered to make me some pancakes you know and they're like oh well that doesn't make <laughs> sense we're gonna leave that out that's a real story that by the way but and so and and John Keel was the story you've been hiding. No, no, <laughs> no, no, it's not. But uh, but John Keel was the first to be like, you know, you can't discount all this super areas of yeah. high strangeness. They're a part of this thing, and as soon as you try and fit it into a nice little box, the first thing it's going to want to do is break out of it. Yeah, I've never been to Roswell, mm. New Mexico. Have y'all? Yep. Mike yep. has. Yeah, okay. I have. I've been. And yeah, Riley. Riley's been. I have seen the pilot of the Roswell reboot on the CW. <laughs> oh, yeah. What do <laughs> you think? Was, yeah, I feel like it's the same experience. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, so I think with UFOs, I've always sort of... Uh, my 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 acceptance of or, or understanding of aliens and extraterrestrial is almost separate from mm-hmm. UFOs just because... Uh, just because of human error. Yeah. Not that I don't believe that alien spacecrafts... I do believe that alien spacecrafts exist and people may see them and that they may have even come here. Um, but also, I think, like, uh, that, that there is, I have to say, the skeptic in me where 
uh, just being around a lot of dumb LA people <laughs> when they're like, oh my God, what is that? At least with yeah. one right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, like when uh, when Elon launched that first yeah. uh, yep. caused, caused a fervor. Yeah, and everyone was like, Oh my god, it's yep. definitely a UFO. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that and how like that wasn't that people were dumb, it was just that nobody knew. And mm. then Twitter sort of right. answered. So I wonder, I think about that a lot with um, you know, especially the timing, how many of the things could have been explained away with Twitter. Um, if it existed in the fifties. Right. You know? Totally. <laughs> uh but I do but the with UFOs in general, I think that is, um, that's the scariest part for me. Because mm-hmm. I, I like, I believe that they exist. I believe that aliens exist, but I would never go as far as to say that I also think have any evidence to say that they're benevolent or nice or yeah, you know. Right. Um, yeah, my my only thought about that, and I don't, you know, you could be like, well, that's not necessarily the way it works, but I like to go. If a society or if a species has evolved and been around long enough that they didn't destroy themselves, mm-hmm. at some point they must have gotten over the like war thing mm-hmm. and have now branched out and become an intergalactic travelers. And hopefully, to me, that's a sign that they are more interested in observing than uh inner you know than yeah. like destroying but that might be a stretch you know but I didn't, uh, I didn't mention the 50 or so air force pilots that he said were killed uh in either hunting these things down or tracking them um, wow which should is, have left that in the I story know. john keel <laughs> says they're not from outer space there's no need for them to be they have always been here um, I loved a part in the Mothman prophecies where Richard Gere's character, John Klein, he says, um, and he's talking to Alan Bates, who's a college professor. He says, I think we can assume that these entities are more advanced than us. Why don't they just come right out and tell us what's on their mind? To which Alan Bates replies, you're more advanced than a cockroach. Mm. Have you ever tried explaining yourself to one of them? And it's very interesting, you know, I, was, yeah. I thought that was very... I remember watching that film and, you know, it's it's a so-so movie, mm-hmm. but, like, that was the first time I ever thought about interdimensional entities. And yeah. then I went, oh, fuck, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Well, and I, I, I purposely left out... Uh, you know, Indrid Cold and The Men in Black, which is which John Keel was, right. uh, I mean, he was the biggest proponent of Men in Black theory and what they were and what it meant. And uh, that's like, I, I left it out because that's really a, a whole, yeah. another topic of discussion. Well, and we, you know? we have an Indrid Cold episode up over on the Patreon and we'll do a deeper dive mm-hmm. at some point in the future here. But yeah, John Keel spoke to uh, Woody um, Derenberger. Yeah. Interviewed him after that incident where uh, Woody Derenberger was a salesman, appliance salesman, whose car broke down on the side of the road one night and a craft landed in front of his truck and a tall, thin man with a grin on his face named Indrid Cold got out and spoke telepathically to him. What? He then went on to claim <laughs> that he and Indrid Cold went on many adventures together to... Uh, <laughs> Sounds Venus, a little, right? yeah. yeah, Venus and yeah. Mars and uh, Indrid's sexy planet. So hey, there's a right. lot of like High stuff strangeness. later that seems <laughs> like uh, some like mid 1960s yeah. slash fic. But 
that first incident is pretty interesting. Well, there's uh, there's but, a great uh, scene in Mothman Prophecies where Richard Gere is starting to after he's talking to witnesses, he goes back to his hotel and mm. John Keel says this actually happened to him where he gets a phone call and there's there's this chilling voice on the other end of the line who's like leading him in this direction. And he's like he's and he's like I can basically he tells him I can I can see things. I I know, for example, what you're looking at right now. And, and, you know, he flips through the the Bible that's in the drawer and he's like, and he literally reads what reads. He shuts, slams the Bible and he he tells him what's in his pocket. And then so Richard Gere rips the phone out of the wall and he throws it against the corner, just spooked out of his mind. And then the phone starts ringing (gasps) again. And John Keel in an interview on Coast to Coast said, that literally actually happened to me wow the only uh horror film in history that's hinges around a chilling scene involving chapstick <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right uh but it's but an amazing strange fellow amazing character yeah john Keel. yeah yeah um, wow huh i never knew about him yeah, yeah. great thank there you bryce you're welcome great uh uh, primer on John Keel, and we need to go. I uh, definitely need to read all of his work. Uh, Clark, I want to thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you so much. Uh, what? Where can people find you? Um, I'm Mr. Clark Moore on everything. Okay, Instagram, great. Twitter, everything. And of course, you're in many upcoming episodes of the yes. final season of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah. Which uh, we say goodbye to next week. I know, so sad. Audiences will say goodbye to on April 4th. Yes, yep. And I think Love, Simon is streaming on HBO Go. Great. Check it out. I'll be checking that out. Yeah, I'm I'm around. Thanks about that film. Yeah, it's pretty cute. Good. Awesome, dude. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Thank you, Riley. Thank you, as always. Thank you, listeners. Uh, Definitely go check out and support the Patreon if you can. Uh, We appreciate that. For five bucks a month, you can get uh, access to three to five bonus episodes. And I think, Clark, are you going to stick around and tell one more story? So It's a good one. We're going to put up a bonus, BCC bonus episode with Clark that will be available right now over on our Patreon. And uh, if you don't want to support the Patreon but want to support the show, please do us a favor. Go to iTunes, rate and review us. Give a five-star review if you enjoy the show. Hit subscribe. Hit subscribe. It really helps us get the show out to more people who are trying to chart over there. We want to get BCC charting. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club. See you then. Bye. Bye. Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps get the podcast to more listeners. To support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club and unlock multiple reward episodes every month. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.
Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their case has had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday.